there. Some irresponsible voices have been making careless comparisons to Weimar Germany. And one of those irresponsible pundits is me, <laughs> because the explanations of Trump's support, to me, absolutely parallel the concerns of those who brought Hitler to power. Yes, I absolutely think that uh, Weimar Germany has to be part of the mix in which we try and understand this. A good example is, you know, the New York Times in 1922 said, Hitler, well, no one really takes this anti-Semitism stuff seriously. You know, so not taking a demagogue seriously, that's a definite parallel. You don't have to say Trump is Hitler to believe in that. But we also have to go to, say, a place like 1930s Texas, in which a guy named Pappy Daniels, you know, won the governorship by traveling around with a corn pone, you know, hillbilly country band and would offer the same kind of hyper-populist, uh, lowest common denominator stuff that Trump does now. The fact of the matter is Trump isn't Nixon. Trump isn't Reagan. Trump isn't George Wallace. Trump isn't Pappy Daniels. Trump is all of these things. And understanding him is going to take the kind of work that we're only beginning to embark upon. If we can agree that nothing in the past is exactly a predictor of what is taking place now, and that many things in the past are predictors of what we're experiencing now. How do we process history smartly to figure out how to deal with this and normalize this as just the latest expression of the people's will? Well, we don't normalize it. <laughs> uh, I would be the last person to argue for that. But I think that there's a ground to my explanations of history, which I think we really need to understand. One of the reasons we have a hard time understanding Trump is that American political culture, American media culture, is very much grounded in a sense that America is a nation that's united and at peace with itself. We really, really want to believe that. We all seem to have bought into Walter Lippmann's idea that democracy is, is almost perfected. We're just working out a few remaining kinks. But a more mature consideration of the broad sweep of American history, which of course was built upon papering over the fissure between slave states and free states, is that it's a much stranger, more violent, passionate, angry place than we give it credit for. I mean, whether it's the very violent nationwide railroad strikes in 1877, or the Dust Bowl, or almost a thousand college campuses going out in strike in 1970, or the kind of rage that exiles and refugees from Southeast Asia faced when they came to this country in 1975, or whether it's Oklahoma City. We always see these violent, passionate incidents, and we always see them swept under the rug when it comes to this longing we have to believe that Americans can just come together and unite. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do with my work, and if I can make any contribution to this awesome, you know, awesome in the sense of terrifying movement that we're living through, it's that America is a messy place. And we all have to kind of open ourselves up to uh, the possibility that we don't understand before we can really begin to understand. You mentioned in your piece that the tendency to imagine any particular political moment as unprecedented makes us ignore a lot of nasty stuff from the past and to idealize it in a dangerous way. You call it historical narcissism. 
Is that what's going on now or just some very scary clash of triumphalism and abject fear? Well, what I said in the piece was that our historical narcissism indicts us. People were saying, oh, my God, this is just like the scary riots in the 1960s, you know, the, the scary violence against police in the 1970s. And I came back with the point that my hometown of Chicago, in the riots after Martin Luther King's assassination in 1968, literally two entire miles of Madison Street were laid to waste. They were gone. In the riots in Baltimore after the death of Freddie Gray, one CVS was burned down. So this temptation we have to believe that we live in the most dramatic, unique, interesting times, it's not history, it's the opposite of history. We have to kind of attend to the particularity of each movement, but we also have to understand how each movement is determined by the past. I don't think we have a problem doing that when we think about biographies of people. We understand that each person is unique. But we also understand that.